Brothers and sisters, guests and friends, welcome. It is our privilege to minister alongside of you. We are in the body of Christ and he is the shepherd and we are just people, sheep that helping one another to know who is our Lord and Savior. It is really my joy to be part of this great congregation, uh, people who love God, people who are filled with the Spirit of God. And I want you to remind you that you are children of God, whatever happens, whatever happening, that we rest in Christ and the gospel and gospel alone. And so he's our joy and he's our savior. And so we want to encourage one another to run to him, to cry to him, to encourage one another to live for him, to strive for him by all, by his power and his name. So it is my privilege to bring the word of God to you this morning. And we're going to go to Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 25. Romans chapter 7, as you open in this passage, this passage is often treated as an uncle uh, in your family celebration that you don't want to invite. You know, you have those uncles and those relatives that you know that he's there, you know that he's part of the family, but you just don't want to see him there with his jokes and with his, um, you know, crazy ideas or whatever. You know that he's somehow related, but uh, it's not pleasant to see him, so you just avoid him. And so many times we, when we come to this passage, we just skip right into chapter 8. Because this is our glorious passage of Romans chapter 8. And it's sweet and it's delightful and it's glorious. But we do not know what to do with this portion of the Bible often. And we feel uncomfortable. Because it is brutally honest about our condition. Even us believers now. So we'll read this passage and I'll bring it to you. The message, O wretched man that I am. Romans chapter 7, we read, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage of sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do. But I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find in the principle that Evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. This is the reading of God's word. Pray with me. Father, we thank you. Enable us to see the riches of your word. Enable us to see the glory of your law and of your character. Enable us to see the pitiful and the miserable state of sinful nature. And prone us to run to Christ. Where and only where we find peace, satisfaction, joy, hope, and glory. And bless us this afternoon. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you've been tracking with what we were preaching, we were emphasizing a lot about faith. Faith in Christ Jesus. And we shift in focus from you and your faithfulness to faithful one Christ. In other words, your way of how you view your sanctification have a great deal of resting on either what you're doing or what he is doing for you. And so this is in the same series of messages that we should rely on Christ in our faith. You know, it's interesting that the heart of Reformation, when it happened, Martin Luther, he, this passage played a magnificent role in his understanding. Same true is about Augustine. And Martin Luther, he coined this phrase, saint and sinner, at the same time. In Latin, it would be simul justus et peccator. Saint and sim- sinner at the same time. Meaning simultaneously, we're justified and called saint, and at the same time, we are sinners. And this is what bothers us a lot. This is kind of a conundrum of Christian life. How to reconcile these two things that I am a saint and I am a sinner. And this is the fundamental tension of Christian life, I believe. And you need to settle what you believe about your nature. Do you have one nature? Do you have two natures? How to proceed in your sanctification would depend on your clarity of scripture. Who are you in the light of Christ? No other religion possesses this tension. No other religion knows and admits that there are two natures in, in us. That there are battling nature, one of the old sinful nature, another inner man who is sanctified by Christ. Our wretchedness as fallen human beings is still here, man. Is still here. Our lingering sense of unworthiness haunts us. Our deep regret over our corruption lurches us in our hearts, causing despair and doubt. And there's a burden that we carry. If you read Pilgrim Progress, you remember the scene when he came to, to the hill at Calvary and he saw the cross and the sight of the cross, at the sight of the cross, the burden that he carried rolled away. And he was amazed, saying it for a moment, that his, his justification happened just that. Through the sight of the cross, the burden was done. But then he carried on with other burden, and there's obstacles. And this is what we call the sanctification process. 
where we in our religion experience, sanctified by Christ, we are carrying something. And it's very heavy at time, and it's not rolling away. What is that? That is your sinful nature that is with you. There's a burden that you will, will not be removed until we reach our final destination. And I like, like, uh, S. Lewis Johnson, one of my favorite preachers, even though he's very boring when he preaches, but he's very articulate. He said, not only are there many humans formulas for salvation, there are also many for sanctification. There are sources of sanctification by taboos, sanctification by positively good things as witnessing, by Bible study, by prayer done in our own strength. What results as a form of Christian legalism, a pride of righteousness done in the power of the flesh. Just as a man cannot save himself, so a Christian cannot sanctify himself. We believers cannot of ourselves live the Christian life. We cannot of ourselves keep any law of God due to indwelling sin. And that is the essence, is the point of the Apostle Paul's Romans 7, 14 to 25. And what I believe here, Paul is expressing his wretched state in his depression of his soul. And he is screaming all loud these words, wretched man that I am. I'm in my misery because of this reason. He understands the holiness of God and his sinfulness. And the, the farther he grows in his sanctification, the gap the understanding that he's not reaching and he's too far and that he's so sinful grows in his mind. Even though sanctification process is going further and you become better, quote unquote, in Christ's eyes. The gap of your understanding that you are falling very, very short is actually increasing. And that is the passage about Apostle Paul himself. Now I want to take you off from the sermon a basic point that our growing in despair is going to happen for sure and our growing in despair in trusting in your flesh must produce in us growth in dependence on Christ the more you grow in despair and the more you see that you can't trust yourself that there's nothing good in you should produce the more trust in Jesus Christ and dependence on him, trusting that he will take care of the deal. This is the gap passage, I would say. So Paul is leading us after glorious passages in chapter 1, 2, 3, 5, 6, about the glorious gospel in our salvation and justification. He said in chapter 7, even though you have been saved from your sins and been born as a new creation and you called a new creature, the old nature was not eradicated. And it's still here. And it's going to be with you until you die. And that is a bad news. The good news is that Christ is with us. The Spirit is with us. And Christ promised to us that he will give us Another body that would have no tension. There would be no gap. It would be total unity and peace. Is that what you're craving for, Christian? And that's what we're craving for as we read in this passage with Apostle Paul. So I want to break this passage in three simple points. What makes us wretched? What makes us wretched? What increased this wretched misery in our soul? Number one, that we are still 
in a state of sin. All nature is still in a state of sin. Number two, that we're under slavery of sin. Old nature is under slavery of sin. And number three, that we operate in the Old Testament, uh, all nature operate in a system of sin, a state of sin. So our ungrowing despair in our flesh must produce our desperate need for Christ. The state of sin, how do we see that? Well, first of all, is Paul talking about himself here? There are three views, and you know those, those times when you read a bunch of commentaries and they give you this view and this view, and you, and you would say, well, give me the, the solution. What is the right view here? Is Paul talking about the unbeliever here in chapter 7? It, it sounds off like that he is because he's talking about this, this tension and the love and the law that he can, uh, he can do and that he's desired, he's confused, and he doesn't understand. Is he talking about... Uh, young believer, a believer who just came to Christ and he tries to pull the law upon himself to produce any sanctification and holiness, or he's talking about himself. Now, I take the view, third view, because it it fits really well. First of all, context. Paul wrote this at pretty much the end of his life and the end of his ministry. It's AD 58. He's writing from Corinth to Rome, and he is like seasoned in ministry. He's not just a newbie and rookie. He just took the pen and he writes the first Thessalonians. No, he is been, he's been there for a long time. And he's writing about the, the struggle, inner struggle that he has in himself. And that's what I think that Paul is clearly identifying himself with this passage. And not just kind of idea or theoretical person here. He's using word I more than any other word in the, in the passage. I, 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 clearly talking about himself. So this passage is an honest evaluation of Paul's life in light of his old nature, sinful nature. And he's crying for God and deliverance. Now, the state of sinful nature. Look at Paul's honest evaluation. I mean... We're Christians, we, we like the truth, but we don't like the truth about ourselves. When we look at this mirror here, this text, and, and Paul is brutally honest about himself. He said, verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh. He's identifying himself with the fleshliness, with the carnal state, with the dust of the world, with the law of the law, with the low people. I'm not from above, I'm from, from below. He identified himself. What is he talking about? He said, I, my old nature is in a, st- sin, in a state of sin because I am all flesh. It can be no other ways. And few things are clear here because in verse 14, he said, I'm of flesh and sold in the bondage of sin. 7.18 says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, right? 721, he said, I find them. The principle that is evil is present in me. Verse 23, I see a different law and the members of my body waging war. Now, Paul didn't just come up with this idea that, oh, I'm of the flesh and I have all this evil present in me. He's honest in Romans 3.19. He said, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. That is given. Psalm 51.5. David is not ashamed of saying that I was conceived in sin. Isaiah 6.5 says, I am a man of unclean lips. 1 John 1. Verses 8 and 10, if we say that we have no sin, 
at the very present, very time, right now, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. We are in a state of sin. In other words, old nature, your old nature, the nature that cannot be regenerated, the nature cannot be changed. It's still in a state of sin. Thanks be to Adam, right? He brought us in. Romans 5.12, it says, Therefore, just as one man, through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin. And so Paul is not trying to say, hey, listen, Adam sinned, and so it's like, it's like this nature in me that causes me to, to do all things. It's like that, that, that little kid who ate the chocolate chip cookies, and then all over his face, and he said, well, that's not me, that's a chocolate monster in me did this. He doesn't say that. He identified himself. This is, yeah, it's old nature, but it's me. I did it. He said, the sin is not going away. He sticks with me. It's not like your in-law that comes in and goes once in a while. They, they came to stay. What a horror would be that you spend the rest of your life with your in-laws, even they are good people. It's like an army. Sin is like an army. It brings the invasion. It's not, it doesn't give you any rest. It comes to stay and it takes you over. The old nature is totally saturated in a state of sin. You know, the reality of Christian life is not that when you were born again, you, delivered, you were delivered from the state of sin once or all. And that's it. Whatever passage you read that we were delivered and liberated, it doesn't mean that you don't have sin in your life. That's how we view ourselves, and we are dishonest because we think in our progress of sanctification from zero to 100, we're somewhere in 75. But if you look through the law, through the gospel, that where you are, you probably, well, I am probably there in two. I didn't make much progress. That's the reality. When we look at ourselves. In the light of Romans 7, we have to be honest and say, this is the reality. Sin is not an occasional stuff that happens once in a while, you know, usually like on Mondays. And then it just goes away. No, sin is staying. And that's what we can call you and myself a sinner. Sinner. We are like HIV positive. Sin nature is in every part of human experience, every thought, every good deed, every so-called improvement, every moral activity. Few people have come to terms with the law of sin. If we would have a real assessment of the things in our lives, we would hear more complaints in our prayers that deliver me from this old nature, O oh Lord. Instead, we're praising how well we're doing in our Christian lives. Paul says, who shall deliver me? Now, he does this evaluation not just uh, from his mind, you know, he says, okay, this is what I got up and this is what I feel like about myself. I I'm, I'm feel sinful, so I put something down. He said, no, I evaluate myself in the light of the law. The law is good. The law is absolutely good. I know that the law is spiritual. It's not like me from flesh. It's from God. It's spiritual. It's, the law is holy in 712, he said. The law is holy. The commandment is holy and the righteous and good. So when I compare myself to the law, at any moment of your life, when you feel pretty good about yourself, just open up the law and see how well you match it up. And you will see, oh, I am of flesh and who would deliver me from the body of death. Paul says, listen, in my, nature, in my mind and in my inner man, I rejoice with the law of God. But when I compare myself to the old flesh, I want to hide 
The law of God is good and spiritual, but the law of God is impartial. Regardless of what you experience in life and what kind of excuses you're going to give it to you. If you come to the law, law will not partially judge you. You would say, well, die. And this is it. You missed one point. You did point imperfectly. Die. That's interesting. We think about Jesus when he preached Sermon on the Mount. Just want to bring it up. What do you think Jesus preached on Sermon on the Mount? I know what he started with. He started with the gospel. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And he preached this gospel saying, we can't do nothing. You really need to rely on someone else. You have admitted that you're bankrupt and you're in ability. But then he comes to verse 17 and he starts preaching something else. He's preaching the law. In 517, he says, do not think that I came to abolish the law, just to make sure that I'm preaching the gospel to you, but so that you know clearly that I am, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And from then on, he is preaching the law. You know why he's doing this? So the people who listen to him would be not like, wow, that was a great sermon, Jesus. That they would see like, wow, the standards are so high. What are you preaching, Jesus? And he's saying, listen, I say to you, unless your righteousness, your personal practical righteousness, unless your righteousness will not surpass that one of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, I think at that moment, everybody's jaw were dropped. Like, what? These guys? Are you talking about these guys? They're not in? And they are doing really, really well. They're following, and they're just actually adding to the law and doing those commands. You mean if we don't surpass that? And Jesus said, well, yeah, let me tell you. If you're angry at your brother, that is worse than you killing him because you're going to go to hell. That's the standard of the law. So stop jumping to the podium here and seeing how, you, how great jumper you are. Try to jump to the moon. And the point at the end of the law preaching of Jesus, they would say, well, we can't. Who would deliver us from this horrible judgment of the law? And Jesus would point out, I came. I told you. I told you in 517. I do not think I came to abolish the law to make it easier so you could jump off. I came to fulfill it. You need me to do it for you. Now, Paul understand that. And he said, well, compared to myself to the law, verse 14, I have a confession to make. I have a confession to make. I'm in a state of sinful nature, and I'm carnal. I'm a flesh. I'm this early bound. I'm mortal. Verse 15 says, I'm doing the very thing I hate. Nothing good dwells in me. I practice the evil. I find in the principle of evil present in me. I'm a prisoner of the law of sin. Paul, on other occasion, he admits that. He said, well, I'm worse of all the men. In 1 Timothy 1, 5, he says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ, Jesus, came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Notice, I wasn't, but I am. He doesn't say, I was, and now I'm not. I am the worst of all. His self-evaluation is impressive. Is very honest, brutal confession. In Ephesians 3, 8, he says, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given. It's like, what a humility, Paul. 
1 Corinthians, Corinthians 15, 9 says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now I don't have the right to be called an apostle. What a self-evaluation. What a self-assessment. God sent him to preach the gospel, and he was so great. Great missionary. But he doesn't treat him as a VIP in the church. He's a sinner. He understands that. And he's saint only through faith in Jesus Christ and by Christ alone. Sinner by nature. Saint through faith. Now imagine this. Paul coming to our church with a resume like this. He comes to want to be hired so we could send him somewhere to Japan. You know, preach to those who do not know Christ. And he would pull out this resume he said, brothers and sisters, you do not know me, you know, I'm Paul. Well, I want to be sent to a mission trip. I have some experience, you know, great experience, actually. I plant the churches, but I have to admission, you know, uh, to make a confession that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, but I have some problems in me. I'm a flesh. Um, there's nothing good dwells in me, actually. And I often, I'm confused, you know, I want to do something good, but I don't do it. Actually, the evil comes out. And I hate it with my all gods, but, you know, there's this principle, different law that works in me. And I, I can't just, you know, do all the time right. And I fight, this fight is constantly uh, in my mind. So I, sin is actually doing things in me. I like the law of God, but constantly fight the evil desires that come up on my flesh. And lastly, lastly, I, I'm a wretch. I'm a wretch. Uh, I'm a miserable sinner. We would probably say, Paul, you, you need to take FOF. You know, it just, you just need to figure out, okay, where are you in life? You know, just, you know, who are you in Christ? Just take a seat because we, we're going to take it from here. And maybe after, you know, a couple of years, when you grow up a little bit, you will, you know, we'll send you somewhere, maybe ARC first. How about your resume? You know, it's interesting. I was thinking, when people ask me how to pray for you, what can we pray for you? You know what I ask when, you, when I say, I run down the list in my mind, something that is, uh, is, is you know, it's not that sinful, right? Because I can't express that I'm just doing evil things. But, and, and so I usually come up with something like this. Now, this is honest confession. Uh, I'm, you know, just pray for my balance in life, you know, how that I would be doing, I'm ministering a lot and just family. And so I present myself in such a good light that, you know, I'm this, as a busy minister, I have very little sin to deal with, but I'm dealing with how to balance my life with, with the noble things, you know, family kind of and, and church. And so you think about me, it's like, wow, he's a pretty good Christian. He's, he got it all together. But Paul said his resume at any given moment of time, wake him up at 3 a.m. in the morning and say, well, who are you in your old nature? And he would say, I'm a sinner, I'm a wretch, and I need Christ at the very moment and the very hour. Be honest. Be honest. It's like we, we could pretend that we, yeah, we got it together, man. That's a state of sin. Now, Paul admits that he is in slavery of sin. And it's one thing to be in state of sin. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm the state of California. It's a bad thing. You know, California is not as great. You know, there's some kind of regulation and bad stuff. But, I'm, you know, I'm actually doing pretty good. You know, I, I understand. But 
to say that you are in slavery of sin, that's something is heavy. And he says, listen, the reality, reality is that old nature can be freed. You can't free old nature. It doesn't want to be freed. It's always bound to sin. Always. That's what he says. Verse 14, I am of flesh sold into bondage of sin. Two words that, be, that say that he is in slavery. Number one is sold to something. And also verse 23 says that he's a prisoner. Prisoner of the law of sin. So sold. Meaning that perfect tense here, that he was sold long time ago, and he is in state of sell, being possessed by someone else. Like a piece of property. You have the deed for your house. If you paid it off, it's yours. You paid it long time ago. You bought it, but now it's yours. Same thing. It's the old nature belongs to sin. You can't buy it. You can't redeem it. It's unredeemable. You know what to do with old nature? Kill it. And that is it. You may say, how about Romans 8, 2? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Hasn't we, weren't we free from sin and of death already? Well, let me ask you a question. Why are you going to die then? Yes, you are in eternal state for sure. But this old nature is bound to sin. And there's only one solution for that nature is to kill it. You can't change the leopard spots, right? Leopard spots, you can't. You can't change the skin of Ethiopian. You can't. Bible tells us that. You can't change the old nature. It's unchangeable. Christ brought you from slavery, and he redeemed you, and he gave you this hope that at one point, this new nature will take over the whole body and all the members, and then you will be operating without any confusion, any distortion, any, any uh, problems. The second word, he says, 723, I'm a prisoner of sin. He said, I, say, I see a different law in my members of the body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of, my, of the law of sin. The word prisoner here, it's, it's literally, if you translate it, it's like under the spear. You have nowhere to go. You're under the spear and you're done. You're a prisoner for life. Total defeat. The, the, the key picture is here, the total defeat. There's... The old nature is, is defeated by sin, and there's nothing that you could do about it. You know, just to illustrate of this slavery thing, you know, maybe I'm talking about myself and my experience with my wife. You know, at times we have some kind of, you know, we wanted to have a civil conversation. You know, just sit at a conference table and bring it up all the Ducks in the road, like I have my argumentation. I said, well, I'm going to be loving and caring. And so I start there. And then she says something, you know. She says, like, oh, you always do that. And that, that knocks me off. Just like, I forgot everything. And I know I shouldn't. But I say, yes, I will. And I'm moving forward with all my bazookas and all the things. And I, and I tramp all my arguments. And I'm anger, angry. And five minutes later, I regret about this. Like, what has happened to me? Well, I was run over by my old nature. I didn't rely on Christ at that moment. Can you relate to that? So, well, how, how are you standing there preaching to us such a sinner? Well, that's reality. And sin enslaves us completely. Paul says, well, it's not only 
you know, in some parts of my, my body, just it's, it's, it runs in the, in the members of my body and affects my mind. He said, I, I'm confused. I do not know why am I doing this at times. It messes up my mind. I do not understand what I'm doing. It also brings the bondage of my desire. He said, I want to serve the law of, in my mind, but my, I have another desire produced by another nature that wants to do otherwise, the things that I hate, and I'm confused in my desires, my mind confusion, the desires confusion. And the point is that, that when you were born again, God gave you new sets of desire that is a conflict, constant conflict with the old desires that you and I have. And it brings you into bondage, bondage of your behaviors. He's saying here that I'm not doing and not practicing what I would like to practice. I find myself in a bondage because old nature does that. I like a quote by Granfield. It said, when Christians fail to take a court account of the fact that they are still under and sold under sin, they are especially dangerous both to others and to themselves because they are self-deceived. The more consciously a Christian strives to live from grace to grace and to submit to the discipline of the gospel, the more sensitive he becomes to the fact of his continuing sinfulness. In fact, that even his very best acts and activities are disfigured by the egotism, which is still powerful with him. And no less evil because it is often more subtly disguised than formerly. At the, time, at, same, at, at the same time, it must be said with the emphasis that the realistic recognition that we are still indeed under, sold under sin should be no encouragement to us to wallow complacently in our sins. It's not a license to sin. It's just like, yeah, I am just, you know, nobody. I'm going to wallow in my wretchedness and do nothing. No, trust Christ. He will produce in you. So the state of sin slavery of sin. And lastly, let's look at the system of sin or the operating system, or I call it the power, the power. Verse 21 says, I find then another principle. Okay, this is the law of God. I know it's good, but there's another principle which is evil, operates by sin and leads to death. All right, I don't like that, but it's in me and nothing I could do about this. I can't get rid of it, eradicate it. And I, can't, I don't have a hope until I die that it's going to be gone. So your sanctification is not that you try to eradicate it. You minimize the damage. And he said, the law is present in me. This the all members, the law of the sin. Now, let me tell you, let, let me put the face on this law. The law of sin, if you think about not as just a principle, but as a power, that would kind of help us. If you think about the law of gravity, right, you just have to reckon with this. Whether you like the law or don't like the law, whether you believe it or not, you'd be foolish not to believe. But the law of gravity is there and is going to pull you down and, and nothing you could do. Unless you could overcome with, other, with your ingenuity. If you make yourself wings and, and, and other stuff and you could fly, you could overpower this law, but the law is there. You just can't erase it. You just can't say, oh, it's not there anymore. It's there, and you have to reckon with this. So there are other things that Christian life in Christ allows us to have, the spirit, the word of God, and things. But we pointed out that the power of this law is still there, whatever you do, because it has an operating system, you 
in your flesh. And it's not going away until you die or God gives you a new body. So like the law of gravity, same is true about the sinful system. It is a force to reckon with, like hunger is a, is a, is a force. Thirst is a force. It makes you do something. Sin is a force that makes you sin. I like the illustration by Chesterton. He was Anglican theologian in England, early 1900s. And he gives this illustration about rhino. Comparing the sinful nature to a rhinoceros. He said, if a rhinoceros were to enter the restaurant now, there is no denying he would have a great power here. But I should be the first to rise and assure him that he had no authority whatsoever. Well, that's the picture. Sin has no authority over you. He will deliver from that, but he doesn't care. He just doesn't care. If the rhino would appear here, and I could stand and say, well, here, rhino, stop. In the name of Lord Jesus Christ, I tell you, stop. He will not care because he, he's a beast. He doesn't care. He's going to run amok and push us all over. This is the sinful nature. You don't make deals with it. You just don't command it. You kill it. You can't stop this rhino. And by the way, you don't have a power to stop it either. You say, I'm going to read my Bible so I could stop it. I'm going to pray to God so I could stop it. The only chance that someone would stop it is when you come in obedience in the faith to Jesus Christ and say, I can't do that. I submit to you. But by the power of the spirit that you are in me, spirit, stop this monster. And he would start killing it. And he start killing it. You can't stop this law by your effort. And this sinful nature operates not in terms of peace, but by waging war. <laughs> it just wages war. It's interesting to me that it says, verse 23, but I say a different law and the members of my body waging war against the law. It's not that the law of God would wage war against that sinful law. It's the way around. It's that the sinful law doesn't like anything that is good in you. God has a patience for sinful people, but sinful people has no patience for God. Sin is waging war at your inner man. And it fights every good intention, every good desire, every good word, everything that is submitted to Christ, it fights. And it will fight till the end. This is different law in your members of your body, waging war against the law of my mind. And interesting how it wages war, because the word here for war or waging war is very interesting, from which we get word strategy or strategizing, except that it has an anti in the beginning. It has anti-strategizing. And this is what happens. The sin is illogical for us. As soon as you deal with this rhino by the power of the Spirit of God, and you knock him down, let's say, you know, you are in, in plunge in the, in the pornography. As, as long as, and you just pay attention and just kill it. It just changed into something else. It doesn't play by the rules. It just changed in a bunch of rats that goes around. And you have to deal with all of that. It changes strategy. It's, it's against the strategy. It puts you in a chaos because it doesn't play by the rules. It's so hard dealing with sinners because they don't play by the rules, right? 
You try to play by the rules and by the, by the regulation of the law, but they don't play. They trump it uh, at any moment. I remember playing with my uncle. It was so frustrating to play checkers with him. So frustrating. Because we were playing checkers with him, and, and most of the time I won, even though I was like seven, eight years old, and he was four years older than me. So by the grace of God, I won, you know. But at the very end, when I have, when he has a couple of pieces left, he said, well, actually, we're playing different game. We're playing who could give his pieces first away. And of course, I would lose. And it was so frustrating. Like, why did you change the rules on me right now? I would never win. And I would say, hey, let's just do that. And he said, well, actually, you know, we're playing checkers, normal checkers. And so it's just so frustrating. That's what sin does to us. It doesn't have your own strategy. It doesn't play by the rule, by the book. It plays every trick in its own book, anti-strategizing against you so that cut you and trap you. That's how it wages war. When Paul expresses honestly his assessment of his old nature, when he evaluates it in the light of the word of God, when he brutally honest about himself and not hiding somewhere in the corner, presenting his best of himself in some kind of uh, questionable, you know, trait in his, in his character. When he's so honest, it leads him to this cry, wretched man that I am. That's the conclusion. That's the bottom line. This is the exclamation mark. I would like to have the law of God. But I often do it out of selfish motivation. I'd like to give money to people, but I spend it on myself. I like to be patient and kind to, to those who hurt me. But in fact, I am angry and eager to do some damage to them. This is what we do. I mean, if we are honest about yourself, we would grow. We would grow, but we need to start there. And Paul says, wretched man that I am, a cry of mature Christian who knows the depth of his sinfulness and know the height of God's holiness, who know that the fight will not be over until the old self die in agony, crying, oh, wretched man that I am, I come to the end of myself and I come to Christ because the next thing he says, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, my only hope is in him. As a maturing Christian, he is crying to God for help. I'll give you this illustration. That this battle would not be over until you die. We will progress in our sanctification. We will. He makes sure that we'll do that. Although the gap that be between our sanctification and glorification would be tremendous. I think when I come to heaven, it would be really shocking to see how little I grew actually and shocking what, how good the glorifying body is without this tension and sinfulness. But at this very moment, perhaps Paul is thinking about this analogy when he says, wretched man that I am who will set me free from the body of this death. I read this, Spurgeon alludes to that, that Roman emperors saw torture as a legitimate way to put muscle and teeth into their laws. They were known to bind the body of murder victim to the back of his killer. If someone killed a nobleman or innocent child, 
The body was tied feet to feet, hand to hand, head to head. And a man was left to die in a slow and horrible death. And anybody who untie him, he would die the same. Under penalty of death, no one could allow to release a condemned criminal. And this was a terrible practice that maybe brought into Apostle's mind that this is old nature tied to him and he's going to die with it. Only then, when you come to chapter 8 of Romans, it becomes really, really sweet. Because he's saying here, therefore, even though that this is true, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. At the end, I will be glorified for sure. How slow the progress for sure. I will be glorified with him. It's interesting that when we thinking about our walk, we're still hoping for the best that at some point we have a breakthrough. You watch Rocky, any Rocky? No, not preaching movies, but it's just interesting that we see ourselves like this Rocky Balboa who, are, who is like beaten up and he's, his ribs cracked and his eyes swollen and he's just like all at the end of himself and then he comes up gloriously at the round 15 and he just knocked the guy down. And this is how we hope, like, okay, at some point in my life, I will have such a breakthrough that I will be this Rocky Balboa in my sanctification that I would knock the sin out and I'll be just totally perfect and good and it'll be glory. But that's not the case because Paul says, well, you're going to die in your, in nature will die. There's no release from that. If you come to Christ in the, in the 15th round and say, well, what's the deal? Christ would say, well, you have to die. Because that's the only way this old nature to deal with. Your death. Now, Max is sitting with us here. Max, Bowfinger. And it might be good at an illustration. How can you encourage Max? You come to him. said, Max. I really feel for you, and uh, I will pray for you, that God will heal you. In the back of your mind, though, you're really not sure whether it's God's will or you have enough faith to even believe that. Well, what's the encouragement that you could give to Max? There's one. You could come to him and say, brother, at the last day, when this body, crippled body dies, you will be delivered into a new one. This is you and your sanctification. You are crippled by the sin. And yes, there's the power of the spirit. Yes, there's the word of God. Yes, there's progression of sanctification. But truly to be totally renewed from the crippleness of your Christian walk. You need that last day in which Christ completely give your nature to overpower all of your body in a new set of clothing. That is why this hymn is so good for us to sing, I need you, oh, I need you, Lord. I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. 
You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, on one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Even though we are defeated here in flesh, we are glorious with Christ even now. May him be glory. Father, we thank you. We need your grace day after day. And you are the one, you are the one who accomplish everything that is in the law and give us a new set of clothing, righteousness. You are the one who sent the spirit and he accomplishes in us sanctification. Help us not to despair in our souls, but to cry out and say, admitting that we're sinful and we need Christ and the spirit at every moment to make any progress. Help us to have a hope for a future life, hope for the glory that comes from you. Help us rest at the cross. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.